This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Welcome to Leadership in Action on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Jeff Klein, Executive Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program, and my colleague Mike Yuseem is joining me via Zoom as we are still taping our shows from home to keep everyone involved safe. Just a reminder that new episodes of our show premiere every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern here on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. That's SXM Business. All right. Well, Mike, how are you? Uh, Jeff, I'm doing totally fine under the circumstance. How are you? Uh, You know, all is fine. I am, uh, this is a radio first for me. I'm conducting this uh, without power in my home, but with some natural light coming in from the window. So, you know, uh, just shows us how adroit we can be these days. It's a leadership point. We got to cope. We got to make the best of the circumstance. Got to avoid unforced errors. And we got to come back in whatever way we can. So I like the attitude, with or without power, we're going with the program. Exactly, exactly. So we'll provide all the power today, Mike. Um, there's my, that'll be my first of many cheesy metaphors. Um, but the exciting thing is today's show is, is to me, really a celebration. And it's a celebration, um, not that I meant to draw this parallel, but uh, a celebration of ingenuity. Right? When faced with uh, emergent problems and adaptive problems and, um, and, and very significant and serious issues. Our, our guests on the show uh, are the CEOs of the inaugural winners of the Beacon Awards. Uh, and they were, the Beacon Awards were established this year by the Lippman family to support organizations making a positive social impact um, and the honoree organizations. Uh, that we'll be talking with today are Hope Enterprise Corporation uh, and Care Message. They're both past honorees of the Lippman Family Prize, which is an annual global award recognizing groundbreaking innovations. Um, Our first guest, someone who's with us right now, is Bill Bynum, who is the CEO of Hope, which is a family of organizations that includes the Hope Enterprise Corporation, as well as Hope Credit Union, and the Hope Policy Institute. Its mission is to promote economic opportunity from vulnerable populations across the Deep South. Um, And we are delighted to welcome back to Leadership in Action, our friend, Bill Bynum. Bill, how are you today? Um, I'm doing well under the circumstances. Good morning, it's good to see you. It's great to see you. And uh, I know you've You've been very busy. Um, let me say a, a couple words about you, and then you know we we certainly want to catch on up um, catch up on what has been happening with Hope um, and some of the opportunities that you see in the future. So, to say a couple uh, more words about you, Bill. Uh, for more than three decades, you've been working to advance economic opportunity for disenfranchised populations, and since 1994. Hope has generated more than $2 billion in financing that has benefited more than 1 million people in the nation's most impoverished regions. Um, you began your career, uh, your professional career in North Carolina, 
um, in the development finance industry and, you know, have, have really just focused and become one of the leaders. You've been recognized by a number of organizations um, within the development finance industry. So, it, Bill, if you would, can, can you tell us a little bit, what is development finance um, and, and community finance uh, and, and how, do, how does HOPE really lead the way um, in the field? Um, thanks, Jeff. It's um, essentially development finance, community development finance is closing the gaps uh, that so many um, people experience in the finance system, uh, whether it's low-income people or in general, people in rural communities, communities of color, um, depending on where you live, what your circumstances are, um, some people just have a very difficult time getting access to basic financial services. And so community development financial institutions or CDFIs, as we are known, try to close the gap, whether it's for business financing, home mortgages, consumer loans. Um, we try to step in and give people the tools they need to do what we all want to do, um, improve our lives, support our families, contribute to the economy. And, you know, Bill, what, what drew you personally to the work? How did you get involved starting back in the 90s? You know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I think I have um, always um, been curious about why some people had access to certain things and others didn't. I think I probably drove my mom nuts, um, even though she didn't tell me. <laughs> um, she, she let me continue to ask why. Uh, why is it that if someone has um, uh, resources and uh, someone else has um, skills that they can bring, why do they just barter and everybody, you know, support each other and, you know, we all, um, you know, help each other address our needs. And obviously, as you get older and you uh, see how complex the world is, um, you know, you, 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 you notice it's not as simple as that. But it's still something I think is very important. I remember as a kid, my grandmother taking me to Mr. Leach's garage. Mr. Leach was the vice principal of our school. And he ran a credit union where African-Americans in the community would pool their resources to support their neighbors uh, because many people of color couldn't go to the bank and get what they um, needed. And so that obviously left a, um, made an impression on me. And over the years, I've um, been involved with credit unions. That was my first job out of college. I thought I was going to law school to be the next Thurgood Marshall, um, but I, I, I got caught um, caught in the um, um, idea that um, economic opportunity could actually perhaps be more enduring than some of the uh, legal decisions that I saw being overturned in courts, and so I. I haven't made it back to law school yet, but <laughs> I've, I've stayed busy. Well, Mike and I are, are firm believers in lifelong learning, so I, I'm sure you're still learning, even if it's not at, uh, at, at a law school. Uh, Mike, why don't we bring you into the conversation here? Yeah, Bill, first of all, great to have you on the program, and congratulations again on the award. And I've got a 
questions, uh, just to get us going on uh, from my side here on how you think strategically about what you've been doing. And in particular, unlike some other non-governmental organizations, NGOs, nonprofit organizations, you've chosen to make a family of services available. So not just credit, not just borrowing, not just home mortgages, not just startup cash for new business. So if you could step back and just offer us your, your thinking on why a family and not a single kind of bullet focus on a particular area. What led you to create the family of organizations? You know, Mike, a uh, comment that you made earlier, um, adapt and try to minimize the unforced errors, I think has really played out quite often um, throughout the course of my career. We, we started in 1994 here in the part of the Mississippi Delta, um, Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, uh, a 55 counties along the river that long were home to some of the most deep, deepest, most entrenched poverty in the nation and has a history of racial challenges as well. And but we focused, we're focusing initially on providing um, financing and technical support to businesses to help them create jobs that pay decent wages uh, as a means to improve conditions there. And we saw pretty quickly that there was a viable demand um, and we felt that we could provide those tools in a prudent and effective manner, but we only had a million and a half dollars. Um, we, we, we knew that ultimately it would take a little bit more to transform the economy of the Delta. And so uh, we had to look at different uh, strategies. Um, we um, ultimately, um, and interestingly, the loan fund was my day job, but when I joined the local church here, um, the, the pastor uh, asked me about my background. I mentioned credit union and he said he'd been wanting to start a credit union to help address the lack of financial services in the community around the church. And next thing I know, we had started the first credit union in Mississippi in eight years. And eventually, as we saw the needs for more liquidity in my in the loan fund, and the credit union was challenged by relying on volunteer labor and just could not only, you know, just could only go so far in terms of being a, a viable financial service for the community. We knitted the two together. Um, the credit union could provide liquidity um, for the community development lending that the loan fund was doing. And the loan fund, we had professional staff that could help build the infrastructure of the credit union. And so circumstances uh, created a win-win opportunity for both. And we've evolved from, from, from that. Um, on the policy front, we've always tried to anchor our work in data um, and, and use that to try to influence resources that were much greater than ours to help address our mission. And so taking data to inform policy has always been part of our DNA. And over time, that became more formalized and structured as well. Uh, Bill, that's great. I've got a follow-up question, but I bet Jeff would like to break in for just a minute here. Uh, Mike, we must have been doing this together for a while. 
I, I appreciate it. Let me remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. And I'm your host, Jeff Klein. I'm joined by Mike Useem. And our guest this hour is Bill Bynum, the CEO of Hope and one of this year's winners of the inaugural Beacon Awards established by the Lippman family, a longtime supporter of organizations that are making a positive social impact. Back to you, Mike. Well, a, a quick follow-up on, on the territory you just laid out so well, and it's really focused on the fact that you've grown and you've diversified for good reason over many years, um, serving the underserved and, and so on. But as you've grown and as you've diversified, you can do less and less yourself. You have to do more and more through other people. So I'm thinking about you've brought in to work with you. What, what do you look for um, among those that you're going to hire for, for senior positions uh, in your agenda, what, whether it's uh, credit or, or meeting uh, local financial needs? What do you want to see in the people who are going to get it done under your general direction? You know, I think my, similar to how our strategies have evolved, my approach to building our team has evolved as well. You know, initially, you look for the technical skills, and those are critically important, but you also need people who are as passionate about the mission. And particularly, that's so important in, in nonprofit and in NGO um, work because you, you work long hours and with often limited resources, and so the work has to matter <laughs> more than just the paycheck. And so we, we fortunately have been able to bring people who are as masochistically committed to this mission as I am. We, we run into barriers and believe that we can ultimately figure out how to overcome them. Um, well, both with strong technical skills, which is critical uh, given the uh, complexity of providing financial services in distressed communities. But again, we also have been fortunate to, to hire people who can relate to the uh, needs of the communities that we serve. We increasingly have um, built a team that have family and friends and uh, are, have a vested interest in improving the conditions in our markets. And so those things have come together um, and I think put us in a really strong position. Um, I, I, I have to say, I think my team can go toe to toe with any financial uh, institution in the country. Great, thanks. Um, a very, um, I guess, tangible question that following up on what we've just talked about. You no doubt have hired hundreds of people over the years now and Imagining just for the moment you're sitting with a couple of candidates uh, and you're looking for the qualities you just identified. They can get the job done. They're technically skilled. They believe in the agenda. They have. They want purpose in life. What are the kinds of discussion points, or maybe even the questions you ask among prospective candidates to find the the person you really want to come in and work with you in a senior level? Now, it's interesting. Um, one of the things that I didn't mention earlier is really um, I found it invaluable hiring people who fill in my gaps, um, who you know know um, 
are subject matter experts in their own particular uh, area of, 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 of responsibility. And it took a while before we um, hired a head of human assets, a human resource uh, person. I used to interview everybody, and obviously now that's, that's, that's not possible. We've got uh, 240 people across five states. Um, but um, I think that um, for, for the positions that I do continue to interview, um, again, first and foremost, I try to get a sense of why this works matters to them. Um, you know, what is it that um, makes them see this as an opportunity? Ask them what their aspirations are um, and how that aligns with their uh, vision of the work that they will be doing at Hope. Um, and we, you know, again, I think it's uh, much easier to get your arms around the technical skills um, than it is the, 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 the compatibility with the culture and the mission of the organization. And so we try to drill down um, and, again, see if there are experiences uh, that they've had in the past that give us a sense that this is a fit for them. Um, but I, uh, I really uh, think having deep conversations, both with me and uh, other members of my team, because I, I've, I've learned that um, we all have blind spots. And so that allows us to have more data points to compare and hopefully come up, um, make the best decisions. Great, very helpful. Jeff, back to you. Bill, one of the, one of the areas of focus for the Beacon Awards was really to um, find and highlight those transferable practices that you know, past Lipman Family Prize honorees had, um, you know, had identified and, and been able to use to expand to new geographies, to new market segments, um, maybe even to educate other organizations. I'm curious what, what you and Hope have learned about working in local communities uh, that, that you, you believe uh, is transferable to other organizations. What, ad what advice would you have for another organization wanting to, to build the kind of trust that you're able to build? You know, I, I think one of the things that we have become, have come to appreciate and I think more fully incorporate into our business model and our strategies is being a learning organization, uh, listening to the people in the markets that we serve in a very intentional way. Early on in many credit unions, for example, they'll do a survey um, and how many um, you know, potential members are there in, in a market? Um, how much savings are there? But we try to dig a little deeper. Um, we am really excited about an initiative that we've undertaken over the past several years that we call the Hope Community Partnership. And we've actually gone into communities, engaged leaders, not just elected officials, but uh, grassroots leaders, um, community neighborhood neighborhood association leaders, and then focus groups and interviews and surveys to ask them what would it take to improve conditions in their community. And they know much better than I do uh, what their needs are. And we see where those align with our products and services and try to bring those to bear but we also, uh, are fortunately, um, are in a position 
where we can reach out to banks, to foundations, to policymakers that those local residents don't have access to and bring them in and connect the, their, those assets to the needs of the community. And, and so, but we would not be able to do that effectively if we didn't first listen. Um, and really, again, ground our work in data that is um, closest uh, to the ground. I, I, I've learned that the closer you are to the target, the more likely you are to hit it. And so we, we, we try to incorporate that into our approach as much as possible. Bill, I, I remember the last time you were on the show, we talked a lot about, or one of, one of the things that we talked about was Hope's response um, in, in New Orleans, in Louisiana, after Hurricane Katrina. And, and you know, as, as I followed Hope over the years, it seems like in the times where your communities are, are most vulnerable, that that's a time where Hope really feels like it's most imperative to, to step forward and to step up. Um, how do you prepare an organization to respond in times of crisis in the, in the way that, that Hope has been able to over the years? I, th I think we're really fortunate to have a team that cares about these communities um, and, and are motivated to, to, to roll up their sleeves when the going gets tough. As you said, after Hurricane Katrina, we, we found ourselves, like the entire region, particularly the Gulf and the New Orleans, in, a, in, in circumstances that no one had experienced before. And we, we grew dramatically. We grew from 50 to 150 people in a matter of a couple of years. We, we were one of the fastest growing credit unions in the country by rate of member and asset growth uh, for several years after that. And that was primarily driven by our commitment to focus on closing the gaps where mainstream um, resources were not going. Um, you know, if you needed, uh, you know, you needed to have a banking account to get your FEMA check or your insurance check. And there were so many people outside the banking system looking in. And so we opened accounts and helped those people and then started providing financial counseling to help people get um, access to um, the, some of the tools that were made available for rebuilding homes. Uh, we ended up counseling over 10,000 people who, families rather, that got $600 million that was really not available before um, we uh, jumped on the table. Again, the importance of policy and advocated on their behalf to the state and federal officials, um, but it, it stretched us tremendously, but we, um, we were able to adapt and, and, and survive that. It was, it was really interesting. And as you said, when the going, when the circumstances are most dire, that's when our community, the communities we serve are most vulnerable. We saw it after the financial crisis. Uh, banks left these communities in record numbers um, and we went from eight locations to 30 locations. We, we, we tend to run to the fire instead of run away from it. Um, and I really uh, think that what we were created to do is to, again, try to close those gaps uh, that exist and they are, they are, they are exposed um, 
even more so during times of crisis. We're seeing it now during the pandemic. Um, so it, it, it's, it's what we do. We've gone from making 40 to 50 business loans a year to making, we made 2,700 paycheck protection loans in the last four months. So um, I, it, it stretches my team, um, but I'm so proud of what they do in these circumstances. Um, and I think it's, it's what's necessary to, um, to to help the communities that we serve. That's great. Well, Bill, we are, uh, we're unfortunately just about up at our time boundary here. So I, I want to make sure I ask you, um, how can our listeners find out more about Hope? HopeCU.org. That's our website. Hope, like Hope Credit Union, HopeCU.org. Um, and we are, you know, we, again, we, we're, we are, we couldn't do what we do without partners, uh, without allies. And, and you know, we know what we know, but we know we don't know a whole lot. And, and it takes a lot more than we do. We're proud of the work we do, but um, we're always looking for allies to, to help um, address these needs. Well, Bill, we want, I, I know on behalf of Mike, um, as well as the, the whole university and the Lippman Family Prize community, we want to congratulate you on the Beacon Awards. Um, we also, we didn't have a chance to talk about it on the show, but we want to congratulate you on the, the really exciting $10 million investment from Netflix. Um, you know, the, the work that, that you're doing and that Hope is doing, uh, I, I think the entire nation is focused on these issues of systemic inequality and access to capital uh, and the work that you're doing is just so needed um, throughout time, unfortunately, and especially now. So thank you, Bill, and, and know that we stand in support. And Bill, thank you so much. Thank you for me as well. We appreciate uh, what you're doing for the underserved. And again, congratulations on the Beacon Award. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll say a, a special thank you to the Lippman family um, for their philanthropy and service that, that made the Beacon Award and the Lippman Family Prize possible. This is Jeff Klein, Executive Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program. I'm here with my buddy, Mike Yusim. This is Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 